Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. Today I have one of our favorite guests here on the podcast, uh, Faina Churdak. Um, we're going to ha- talk about neurotypical jobs, um, also a little bit about our experiences in, as actors and ableism in the acting industry, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, welcome back, Faina. Thank you. Lots to talk about. <laughs> Lots to talk about today. Uh, indeed. Um, so the first thing I wanted to ask you um, is your experience working um, in neurotypical fields um, as a, a, a neurodivergent person. I know you work in HR. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about like what it's like in terms of having to just the environment, like dealing with other near with people like neurotypical people on a daily basis. If you've ever mentioned that you've near you're neurodivergent, how they take that and also just the job of HR itself. I know that's a, a lot. That's kind of some sub questions in there, but I'll let you, um, I'll hand it over to you now, yeah. Yeah, I love those questions, have a lot to say. I'm going to start with my um, first few jobs, which were as a counselor at camps um, for kids, you know, Mm -hmm. so, and and camps that I've gone to, like summer camps. Um, And, you know, I'm really good with kids, um, but for some reason, when I have kids that are as hyperactive as I am, and I was as a kid, it's really hard. I actually feel it might be easier for neurotypical people to manage and support children who have, um, you know, hyperactive issues or other issues. Um, But however, I did have uh, kids who had like, you know, other issues like uh, Prader-Willi syndrome and um, just developmental issues. Um, I I don't even know if I should call it issues, conditions. Conditions. Um, And, and I found that easier, but the hyperactive kids, I, I, I'm going to be honest, Mm -hmm. I wanted to strangle them. Mm -hmm. And that's how a lot of teachers and, you know, counselors of mine probably felt about me. Um, but I also found a lot of joy and love and like, they brought the kids together a lot. And, and so I mentioned this, these jobs because they were like kind of free spirited fun. I could be myself. The kids really enjoyed like my youthfulness, my playfulness, my stimmy needs. They'd stim with me because it's just Mm, something a kid mm kind of needs to do anyways. So those were really fun. Um, and then I was kind of stuck after college, like mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I wanted to do something that excited me. Um, but really it was nothing. And I was kind of pretty depressed. My really good friend Flo, she, she's like, you have an interview tomorrow at a restaurant. It's really fun. It's in North beach. It's called Tony's pizza, Napolitana. And you're going to be the host if you get the job, you know? And I was like really nervous. Like I had never worked in a restaurant. It's every, honestly, maybe it's just a neurodistinct thing, but every type of job that you're not confident about or that you don't have experience in really stresses you out. Mm -hmm. Like you get pre-overwhelmed 
knowing how much you're going to have to learn. And for me, it takes practice, like to feel confident about something. I'm not just going to pick everything up after the first day of training. So anyways, I got the job. I, um, it's, it's a very fast paced, busy, busy restaurant, very popular in San Francisco. And I'd say after, after like a couple weeks, I freaking loved it. And still to this day, I'm like, I miss hosting. It is so fun. It is so good for my ADHD. I love people's personalities and patterns. That's like one of my mm-hmm. fixations. And so everybody that walk in, whether they were rude, entitled or anything, I thought I saw it as fun. I was like, mm-hmm. you're going to be rude to me. Awesome. I have control over your seating and I'm not going to fuck you over, mm-hmm. but I am going to kill you with kindness yeah. as you continuously get mad. I don't know. It was just kind of fun. Mm-hmm. It was really fun to run around, be in charge, control things, um, talk to people, talk to people waiting on the bench. When it was really busy, I take charge. I'm really good at taking charge um, in like a kind way. And yeah, I just felt like I had a natural knack mm-hmm. for hosting. And I love to host in general. Um, like at home, I'm a big host person. Like I love to organize and like create special environments for people. So um I really do miss it now because um shortly after I realized I I need to make money I need to I need career growth and and development um because not because I wanted to but because I I needed it financially Mm -hmm. so I went to Golden Gate University, which is like a, a adult business school, basically in the evenings. And I got my master of science in human resources management. Um, I actually did pretty well in it just because I was, I thought it was going to be all people oriented, but it's really not. It's more company oriented mm-hmm. um, about the people, I guess, um, mm-hmm. which is more in favor of the company rather than the people. Mm-hmm. And I'm more about the people. Yeah. Um, So I, yeah, I I did really well. I actually got really good grades for the first time. Like I, I uh, got honors and never have before. Um, And I started simultaneously working at BlackRock, um, the world's largest investment firm. How I got that job. I think it was just many trials and errors before of applying to all kinds of, you know, HR entry level roles, specialists, coordinators, mm-hmm. and just building that confidence in myself. And I didn't actually want the job at BlackRock. Cause I'm like, I don't give two shits about investments, about money, finances. Like I don't want, I want something I can work in HR in a boring industry, but as long as it's in a creative, like, sorry, a creative, um, sorry, a boring field, but a creative industry. Like I was hoping to do HR for like, I applied for Netflix mm-hmm. and, and they said that mm-hmm. I was just not experienced enough that they were mm-hmm. interested. Um, and I just, so BlackRock was extremely intimidating. Mm-hmm. I had severe anxiety every day. Uh, this is going to be TMI, but like sometimes anxiety really manifests like in your stomach in your gut mm-hmm. and like oh, yeah, you literally you need to shit yourself yeah, like literally not spiritually but like literally yeah. you, explode you explode on the toilet yeah uh, i remember my first day just like i was running back and forth i was like so ill and i was so mm-hmm. scared and it was so intimidating everybody was just dressed like corporate like formal 
And um, I, th- I thought it was really cool that I was like the lowest level with the highest ups and supporting all of them. Mm-hmm. But it honestly made me want to puke every day. I made, mm-hmm. I made so many mistakes and I, I feel like I, I worked there for a year and a half, a little over a year and a half. And I don't know how I like got out. Like I got laid off because um, the people that I was supporting um, they were actually, they all left the company, uh, mm. during the pandemic. Um, and, and my position moved to New York and mm. I was like really relieved when they told me I was done. I was so freaking mm. relieved. I, I just knew that would be great on my resume, but I, it was just too, too detail oriented for me, yeah. uh, in ways that I hate. Now I could go back and do it, but I would never want to work at a company that is so stressful mm-hmm. and fast paced. Um, anyways, uh, now I work at a startup and I actually really like it. I have a lot of ownership. I actually think my BlackRock experience was extremely useful, but I have anxiety that I battle all the time. And at BlackRock, it was severe. And I think I was really, I felt really misplaced and, and just so uncomfortable. Like I'm usually really good at being social, but I could not for the life of me feel comfortable for a second, for a second. Um, and you know, I had a cool team. It's just, I couldn't connect with them because I didn't feel like I was doing anything good. And I was always, Mm -hmm. I was literally scrambling to like be okay and like learn more. And it was just not connecting. Uh, but now I, I, I have ownership. I, I basically create my own schedule. I'm very busy, but I have power. I'm the only one in, in the U.S. Um, that manages HR, which I like. Oh, mm-hmm. um, even though it is very stressful, I kind of, I, I get to reach out to vendors and I have them explain to me. And, and you know, I just feel more comfortable. Um, it's slower paced and I like to take my time to get confident in, in things. So... Yeah, I, I took you through a journey. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. But yeah, I, I, if you have any more questions about that, I think I forgot. Um, um, oh, like, have you ever told uh, the people that you were working with about being neurodistinct and how would that, how do they take that? Great question. At my, you know, camp jobs and my hosting job, yeah, ADHD, mm-hmm. you know, easy, easy, throw it out all the time, any time of day that I want. Mm-hmm. As soon as I got to BlackRock, I asked the the girl that was training me immediately, like on the first day, I was like, do we let our boss know about any disabilities? Mm-hmm. And she goes, it was her reaction made me realize like I shouldn't tell her. She goes, oh, yeah, if you need to. And I was like, okay and I was like I was like needing to tell my boss Mm -hmm. um but I ended up never saying a word Mm -hmm. because it just felt like why would it matter you know I still have to perform excellently Mm. um it was all about excellence and performing like top tier and it was super stressful to me like being thrown into a completely new industry new environment and like applying all the knowledge I got in school so I kept it a secret and it, it never felt safe to, to say it. And currently I feel more free, but I don't feel like I need to say it um, for some reason. Mm. Um, 
I've, I say it in my creative career, you know, all the time because yeah. that's one of my superpowers. Mm-hmm. But I feel like having ADHD is not, is going to like possibly hinder me with saying it or, you know. Just because of ableism in general. Yeah, right? of yeah. course. And also just because I feel like in the corporate world and the, I, I work for a tech startup, mm-hmm. no one, no one cares. And if you do yeah. say it, it's like, why are you even telling me? Like you're wasting my yeah, time. Yeah, they wouldn't. It's not like they would be understanding and compassionate and like. Yeah, it's not to, a space yeah. for that. It's like everything's go 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 unless you have something to say in regards to business. Like we still mm-hmm. need you to get your job done, whether you're disabled or not. And I get that. That's why I I'm just like it. It wouldn't do anything for me to say it. It really wouldn't. Which is I really just, don't feel it would. It's so frustrating and disheartening because i'm sure that's the experience of countless neurodistinct individuals and then you know that's what causes so much stress and burnout um for many people so um yeah yeah no it's just uh i always make a point to touch on these things uh just so the neurotypical listeners can like all understand a little more in depth um about these experiences like and and how they are for us um so so thank you for for sharing those um experiences and now I'm gonna talk a little bit about um so an experience that I had working for a neurotypical person um it's kind of a long story, kind of a crazy story, but it was uh, actually my dad's company. Um, and I originally, I understood that I would be working for my dad and I would be working with my dad. And my dad and I have always gotten along quite well. And it turns out he's neurodistinct as well. And um, he wasn't diagnosed until recently, but we've always... And not just because of being neurodistinct, but, like, I think because he's neurodistinct, there's, like, that extra layer of, of uh, connection and understanding we have anyways. I thought I was going to be working mostly for him. And that he was going to be, like, giving me instructions and stuff. But, turns out, no. I was working for his assistant slash bookkeeper slash HR person mary sullivan um who i personally actually like she's always been pretty kind to me and you know she is actually she's worked for my grandpa i believe she worked from she started working for my grandpa in 2003 um when she was managing a lot of his stuff um properties and and uh and other things um for him and uh and then she actually my grandpa passed away in 2013 and he uh my dad took over and everything and and then she started working for my dad um and anyways like i i came in and i thought Cause it's like, so my dad has a real estate company where he 
manages these different properties. A lot of them came from my grandfather. Um, and, uh, you know, also like his personal, like his photography, because he also has a photography studio and a photography business. Um, and so his photography stuff and like all like his other stuff it was all being managed by Mary and so I originally thought I was going to help him with his studio and it turns out that I was going to actually be working with Mary on the bookkeeping front of you know more clerical like work like filing and and billing and paying bills and organizing stuff and basically doing like little tasks for Mary and whatever. Um, and it turned out to be a little, it, it was definitely stressful at times because, you know, I, I don't blame Mary for this because I think she, of course, didn't have a lot of understanding around like neurodistinct styles of working and to be fair, even me, like myself, I didn't have a lot of understanding about neurodistinct styles of working. So I couldn't really advocate for myself either. But it was like this standard of like, I had to produce at this certain capacity. And it's like from from, um, you know, if I was working like, four or five hours at that because I would be like, working part-time mostly because I was taking classes at the time as well um and so if, if I was like working four or five hours that day it was like I knew that she like expected me to and it's like you know we neurodistinct individuals as, as you and as many people on this podcast will know we have spurts of hyper focus and executive dysfunction and burnout and it's kind of up and down and it's like we are st ideal style of working is not linear. It's like, you know, it's so hard. It's hard. It's like, I couldn't like, and I could tell, and she was never like really harsh or really mean about it. Like, Oh, why didn't you do this? Or you should have done this or, but she was like subtly harsh, you know, she was like, Oh, well, uh, we should get that done. You need to get that done because then you have this and, uh, that and did you call them or did you do this and you need to take care of this and you need to finish this and I need you to do an excel of this um so it would get overwhelming a lot of times and then it was just also like my internal like trauma of not being like back to my school years of not being able to produce at the same pace at the same constant pace and quantity um, as everyone else. And I would start kind of feeling internal shame and blame on myself and then just kind of like ended up kind of like stressing out and, and getting burned out, like, you know, trying to like work at this pace. And then there were some days, like I said, you know, sometimes you're in hyper-focus and that was great. So some days I would come in there and I would just be ready and I would just be filing things and I would be taking care of the bills and I would be building whatever Excel sheet she wanted me to do. Um, but then there would be other days where, and I feel like I would feel really bad about it in the moment, but it was like I was in such burnout. Like 
maybe even the same day, like for two hours, maybe I'm like, zoop, 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 zoop. and then for the next 30 minutes, I'm just literally like at my desk, like staring at the computer screen. And I can't even, and Mary's like, you know, sitting over no. there and I'm, but I'm just staring at the screen. And I can't even like open a window or whatever. I know I have to, she wants me to finish this Excel thing this week or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I can't. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like literally, and I'll start like, you know, I'll have to keep myself. And sometimes Mary wouldn't be there. And, you know, it's not like I would like sleep for like, uh, for like a long time, but I would catch myself like, if I yeah. don't like, cause I would just like kind of like put my head down and I would sometimes yeah. I would end up falling asleep for like 10 minutes because it's just like too much to like keep up with like if I'm in hyper focus that's great but right. then it's like I need and then I started realizing it's all about like the neurodistinct style of working it's like you right. need to take these little breaks literally or you overwhelm. I need to take big chunks like yeah. I get mm-hmm. severely lethargic like it's really hard especially in the middle of the day to like stay alive honestly (laughs) yeah um yeah no it's like that's how I felt a lot like now that I'm just because now it's been a while since I've worked there but like now it's coming back to me and I'm like yeah that was really intense that was like just that feeling of like the burnout and then trying to get through the burnout and then the worst days were the days that Mary was there um, because then I knew that I knew that she would like give me a hard time or whatever if I if I was like fading or whatever or if she could tell that I wasn't like actively doing stuff so then I felt like super bad of course and and then I was like it was even more stressful and more burnout and like I had to like and then I would like type I would just like move my fingers over the keyboard you know Cause I'm like, okay, like she's she's not gonna understand that I need a, a burnout break. So, and I don't actually, quite honestly, I couldn't advocate. It's not even that she didn't understand that. It's like I didn't understand myself that well, so I couldn't advocate for a burnout break. And so then I was just freaking out, like, okay, I literally don't have the fun- executive functioning right now to to do this Excel thing, but I know she's expecting me to be constantly doing it now. So I'm going to, like, literally touch my keyboard. And, like, I'm just literally, like, that. Just touch it. Yeah, I'm just touching my keyboard. Just give it a little caress. Yeah. (laughs) And, yeah, and so then there was, like, other stuff, like, you know, I might have talked a little bit on this podcast before about um, how for autistic people, you know, it's already stressful, like communication with neurotypicals, just because we have such different styles of communication can be stressful off the bat. But especially in situations of either conflict or situations where you're not on the same page and you're trying to get on the same page as the other person about something. And it's like, I mean, it can be hard for neurotypicals. So, and for autistic people, it's like, multiply that like by several times maybe yeah yeah. so uh it was like and i think it's autistic people and adhders as well and i think because i i suspect that i have both um i think you know i was definitely feeling that and i'm sure you can relate with the adhd um so 
it was like she would ask me to call some company or whatever about some issue or some question about the bill or whatever and it's like a lot of times the person that I'm talking to originally would not even be able to resolve that they would have to call they would have to transfer me to someone else and then I would have to explain the whole fucking thing again to the whole and then it was just that was just so stressful and then there was just because she had me do this like constantly and it was kind of annoying too because I felt like I knew what she was doing that she just didn't want to do it deal with it herself so she all this menial like stuff she would just kind of shove on me and um I mean I get it that it was like it was like you know she was to her like I was there to help with that stuff um but then it was getting really stressful for me and also because I didn't really understand why and I, I wasn't advocating for myself really in the way that I would advocate today. Um, but like she would have me do these awkward phone calls and I just don't know how to interact with this person and this is so awkward and I'm trying to get this from them and they don't know how to get it for me and now they're going to have to call someone else. And so there was one day that um, I told her like, hey, I like I'd rather it, it would be more comfortable I think I did say something like it would be more comfortable for me if you did the phone call stuff or whatever and then uh, her response was um was disturbing <laughs> um was something like oh you know I should do it because I should learn how to do it or whatever you know, which is, I understand that she didn't under, like, realize or see it this way, but it is a harmful thing to say with someone that has developmental disabilities that affect their ability to um, communicate in these uh phone call situations where you have to do what I was doing without causing significant stress. Um, and I wish I would have been able to advocate at the time and understand. And then eventually, well, that was just making me really stressed. And she said something like that. And it turns out by fortune that I was... Um, in therapy at the time and I was already working with my current therapist which is a lot more neurodiversity affirming than my previous one and so I mentioned this stuff to my therapist like yeah I'm kind of been stressed out at work with Mary because she's you know making me do this stuff particularly with phone calls and it's really it's really distressing me um, and she's not understanding and she says that I need to do it. And then Mary was like, you know, you could tell her about the ADA and about like the fact that if you're not comfortable doing something or a certain task that you have a disability, that you're not able to do that task, that you don't, you don't need to do that task. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I hadn't even really like thought about like, the ADA or like phrasing it that way or like and I had to and it was uncomfortable it was very uncomfortable yeah 
Yeah, for and sure. it was very, very extremely uncomfortable. I remember that conversation to this day, uh, uh, even though it was several years ago. Um, but I, yeah. No, I was just saying. Of course, you remember. Yeah. It. Like it was. Like it's just yeah. it shakes you up. Mm-hmm. Like it's anxiety. You, you think about it at yeah. night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And uh, anyway, so like I had to kind of lay. I had to kind of put the foot on the brake. Like, when she was, like, the next time she tried to get me to call someone and say that I should do it, I kind of, like, I was, like, you know, I really don't feel like, like, I, I, this is something that I am comfortable doing, you know, with my disabilities. Um, It's just really, this situation is, is kind of communication on the phone with them, these kind of people. It's really uncomfortable for me, and, and then I had to site you know my therapist told me that with the ADA you know I don't have to do this and I was kind of like I can see how that can be how the neurotypical person hearing that could get defensive especially because I was anxious like when I am anxious and nervous and I'm speaking about something and I'm speaking like that I I speak anxiously I speak nervously and that's another thing which I've faced with like internalized ableism in my family sometimes like is where they'll be like they'll tell me to like be less anxious when I speak or whatever. And I I'm love just that. Like, Isn't that just so lovely? Like yeah. if you find a button, let me know. Let me know. I, yeah. Well, oh, where's the it. button? Great. Tell me how I turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um it was like it was just awkward, you know? She just got like really she was like, Oh, okay. She got like really quiet and it was like really right. awkward. And then it was like and then of course of course, you know, me, rejection-sensitive dysphoria, uh, I feel super Maybe. bad. <laughs> I'm yeah, just like, of course. Yeah. You're like, fuck, like, are you mad at me? Did I do something yeah, exactly. wrong? Yeah, uh, exactly. Oh, my why? God. I felt like that for, like, the next two or three hours while I was there. Oh, really? That's pretty short. Well. <laughs> I um, feel, like, sleepless. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, no, I wasn't. I, w- I felt bad afterwards, too. Right. But right. I was just like... He was like so intense for, for those three. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it mm-hmm. it fades a little, but it's like at the front of your lobe, like you were just always like, why did this go wrong? Like, why didn't, why wasn't this like compassionate and easy? I think compassion and sensitivity and like kindness and like certain language, like really just eases neurodistinct people's brains. Like that's another hard thing about the corporate world. It's mm-hmm. like... Some people don't respond to your emails because yeah. they're busy. And mm-hmm. I get that now. Like, I've gotten used to it. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, when your boss asks you to do something, it's not always please or thank you. It's always do this, you know. And that's, like, the corporate world. I'm, yeah. I'm not asking mm-hmm. for it to be different in a certain way. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not. And I had to go through severe anxiety to get used to that. Yeah. No, yeah. it's really, it sucks. Like, that's what makes me so bummed, too, like, like, I think of my experiences, like, in school and work, and I know that there's just, like, that's just, like, there's so many other people similar to me that are going through that every day, every day at school and every day at work. And so, yeah, that's, not that's, like, what, I hope in the long term, I hope, you know, myself and all the other advocates out there can help um, 
with the help of neurotypicals, of course, which is the most important, um, you know, right. change this whole system. Right. Um, yeah, and and you know, of course, you know, I don't. In case Mary, you know, in case she's listening to this, I don't <laughs> hold any personal grudges, and I never think I. I don't think I ever took this personally at all towards Mary. I actually had a little check-in with Mary. She actually wrote, she reached out to me like a few months ago and she's actually been retired for like a couple years now. So, um, you know, just to like ask about like my acting stuff and um, I actually talked to her when I finished the training. Uh, not talked on the phone, but I just like told her about it. Yeah. yeah. So It's like removed from the corporate world mm-hmm. or from a place of work and mm-hmm. and like knowing somebody outside of that is it's so different like it's different yeah it mm-hmm. is and and i know like a lot of my colleagues are probably really like actually they're all older they're all like you know 48 50 something um the average is about 48 um but i feel like they're still really cool and easy to connect with in a lot of well <laughs> yes socially but not like maybe mentally or spiritually, mm-hmm. but socially I can connect with them and mm-hmm. it, it could be a little bit easier. Yeah. And same with our, our acting teacher, Jim, like mm-hmm. I think he gives us, and I know, I know that's something you wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. But if you have anything more you want to say about Mary. No, no, we, we can move on from Mary. <laughs> I was just going to say about Jim, our, our teacher mm-hmm. who I believe is really wonderful. Um, but you know, his job is really hard and it, and it can make him lose his patience and he can have, and I would probably, like I said, with the kids that I used to uh, be a counselor for, like, it was really hard to deal with them. A lot of them, you know, and I had, I'd probably expect to lose my cool too, if I was in mm-hmm. his position, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just been doing it for a long time. And also, you know, with, with the legacy of Sandy, like Sandy was a fucking hard ass. Sandy, I know, and I am, yeah. Yeah, no, no, what were you going to say? I'm grateful that Jim is not as hard as Sandy because I caught myself thinking many times during the training, damn, if I was studying with Sandy, I don't think I would make it out of first session. It's it's intimidating, Mm -hmm. but to be quite frank, I like environments that are very challenging, um, in the artistic, in the acting realm, mm-hmm. perhaps, um, and in places of interest for me, but yeah. acting is like one of my favorite interests. Mm-hmm. So knowing that like, you know, the first class, he's like all these strict ass rules and like, oh um, just explaining the hardships that you will have in that class and how he will yeah. be nicer than mm-hmm. sandy was but still be you know carry on his legacy mm-hmm. of like yeah being a tough yeah toughness, I, I remember guess. like him saying on the very first day like there will be days that you go home feeling on top of the world and right. there will be days that you go home wondering if you can do this 100 percent but I love that because mm. I believe in my uniqueness so much that I know that I I can work hard. And I had where I was like, I even emailed him once. 
And my intention was never to quit, but I asked him like, do you think I'm ready for this? Because I'm, I'm struggling and I feel like I didn't really get anywhere this session. And he goes, just stay in it. Mm. Like I, this is part of the learning process. And mm-hmm. I, he goes, and he loves to remind me, he's like, do you remember when you wanted to quit? And I was like, I ha- like, it was a thought, but it was never going to be something I do because I wanted to do this. Yeah. Uh, and I just like places that like put a certain type of pressure on me. However many sleepless sleepless nights mm-hmm. I have gotten because of yeah. the, you know, harsh feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it helps us grow faster, you know? In like, maybe that's the Russian in me. <laughs> like, oh, discipline, like, learn, learn from mistakes, never do again. <laughs> like, the reality is we're human and we're anxious mm-hmm. as neurodistinct individuals. Yeah. Like, high, high, highly anxious. And Jim loves to say actors are neur- are neurotic as fuck like mm-hmm. he, the first day he said it and i'm like i'm neurotic as shit mm-hmm. like i am um yeah. that's how the word i used to describe my jewish family like we're loud and crazy and and all over the place um but but i i see that there is a place for people like us yeah. in the industry i think that um like i see because i think like there is the neuroticness that all actors have like about acting like just about being actors and then there's also i think if you're neurodistinct it's a whole another layer or like even a few layers like on top of that and i mean it's i go back and forth about like in general I do feel really good about the training and like I even touched uh I talked about this at on uh episode 16 with Maeve who we both know um about how I mean for both of us uh and I remember how much you resonated with that episode as well about like it was really helpful for unmasking and like because of this technique specifically yeah. yes. um stepping into our true selves and not like feeling like we have to mask um, Mm -hmm. certain things and feelings and and just really releasing and then at the same time there are like some things about Jim and the way he handles situations when people are anxious and when like certain people that like I mean it's like I understand that like for a lot of people what works for them is the more tough kind of nature. Um, and I think even, I don't know, it depends. It just really depends. But I think for a lot of neurodistinct people, uh, including myself in certain situations, we just need to be talked to like with a lot of compassion and understanding because we get really stressed and agitated and... If worried worried and anxious and like we worry about what the what vulnerable. like happens to our relationships yeah with the gym with the clock you know mm-hmm. we have i feel like we have a heightened sensitivity and vulnerability that it's hard for neurotypicals to really fully understand sometimes and so like if we're in a really stressed really anxious really vulnerable situation we need to be talk to with compassion and 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 like if we if we are respond 
if you respond with like harshness, we will feel worse. We will get more anxious. We will maybe have a meltdown. We might start crying. Like it depends. And so that's why I feel like now, especially as I'm digging deeper and deeper into advocacy, that's where it starts to bug me because I'm starting to see, and this isn't even a gym thing. This is the ableist nature of the acting industry, how people that aren't able, like with the whole thing I, I touched on a little bit in episode 43 that we did just to refresh any listeners that haven't had the chance to listen to that one. Um, I talked about this experience I had with my agent when I submitted an audition and, uh, I actually wasn't aware that I had to show a fun personality during the slate video because I take things instructions very literally and I try to honor those instructions and so I was like okay I need to slate my name location height whatever so I'm gonna slate those things and right. and then I'm going to do my emotions in the audition yeah. and I didn't understand I had to do emotions in the slate and so yeah. My agent writes me this very harsh, very quite offensive email um, that I actually ended up calling her on um, saying that I look like I don't have any fun in life and I wouldn't be fun to have on set. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and we just did a movie together uh, a, a week ago and that was super fun. So, by the way, universe, autistics <laughs> are a goddamn asset to your set. But... <laughs> I'm just, that's a quote from Chloe Hayden. Um, oh, but okay. I just, it's, but I was, I, I, I think I'm very fun to have on set. Yes. Um, yes. So anyways, um, yeah, that was very disturbing for me. And that's like, it offended me not as much for myself, because for me, I am able to mask, um, so I just, whatever, I just put my mask on or I just marinate in, not necessarily because of the technique that we did, that we were trained for. If like, oh, I need to mar marinate on goofiness for the slate. I just marinate on goofiness for the slate. Um, but that's because I can, I have that training and I can do that and I'm able to mask. Um, for people, for neurodistinct people with higher support needs, for neurodistinct people that are non-speaking, for people that are unable to mask, I feel that's where I get upset because I'm like, I know a lot of these folks have dreams of being actors as well. Um, and I want to be able to tell them as an advocate, as someone that they might be looking up to listening to my podcast, if one of them talks to me like, hey, you know, I, you know, my name is so and so I'm high, I have high support needs, I'm non speaking, but I, I really want to be an actor. Um, yeah. Like you, I'm like, I want to help this person, I want to tell this person that they can do it. But then if they're if, <laughs> if they're gonna be met with like this harshness and expectation from the industry, like that's what crushes me because because I know that that's what happens to so many of us. Like, we just get hit by these walls of ableism. And it's like, I've had, like, I've been fortunate to have opportunities to, like, 
have supports in place around me that so I can better navigate this. But I just think of all the people that don't. And then it, that's, anyways, it's just like, it just shows how the system needs to change and like how ableism is present in like every field, even the, the acting industry, like anything you can think of, like maybe us just, you know, like talking about acting, like you wouldn't think that there's ableism in the acting industry, but there is. So right. yeah, ableism everywhere. Everywhere. And, uh, Always. Yes. I'm, I'm kind of like figuring out that there is a certain way that these things work but it is frustrating because it's like I all I can't always do it that way like even knowing what I know now about the slate stuff it's just yeah I present differently it's like I do an audition and they want I know that they want I just know now I've kind of cried I just you know it's like I know that they want some sort of neurotypical presentation what a neuro they when they're picturing like okay what do we want to see in this audition they're looking for like neurotypical behaviors and and body movements yes. and it's like it's so nuanced and i don't think people understand including people in the industry including our teachers and everything i don't think people understand how nuanced it is like it's everything it's in the mannerisms it's in the way you speak it's oh, yeah. in everything and oh. i feel like a big reason why i have struggled to book things aside from the fact that it's really hard to book things as an actor is because of a systemic internalized ableism amongst yeah. even amongst casting directors where they see that you're not performing in the way that they're expecting you neuronormatively to perform and then they they don't give you a get you a callback and then like you were just talking about our teacher like when he does this exercise where we do audition take essentially self well we do auditions like cold read auditions um and then he screens it and then he'll comment on it for the class and you were talking about how so anxiety provoking. It's anxiety provoking <laughs> and sometimes myself like that. People are like nervous when they're doing their auditions or maybe because right. and this maybe not was not a case of neurodistinctness in the case of this person that you were mentioning. Um but it I know that a lot of times neurodistinct people will present differently in their auditions and then to have someone like Jim come on and like tear into them because like they don't look interesting or look fun or even my agent to yeah. tell me like I look like I'm not fun to have on set or whatever that's really damaging because then and I even sent her an email later to explain this like it's really damaging for you to say that because then people that aren't able to present in these normative ways you're telling them that they can't be actors that's just really damaging yeah right um I agree with you, actually. Mm -hmm. um, slates are so mm -hmm. simple, but so hard. Um, 
they're simple in the sense that you literally just have to state your fucking name and like whatever show your hands side profile you know full body whatever the fuck they ask for it's like two seconds Mm -hmm. but i have like maybe 15 takes on my phone um and i've realized it takes an extra level of preparation like Mm -hmm. I don't know what I need to be thinking about because my smile needs to be genuine and it can't be very robotic. Um, Also, I just realized like I've smiled so much in my life to mask that like my head hurts. So I like stop doing that all the time. And I still do that sometimes when I'm in social situations because Mm -hmm. I'm just like, it's automatic because it's a trauma. This is the only way, like this is the only way I feel like neurodistinct people can try to fit in. Mm -hmm. It's like just smile. Yeah. Cause like we're constantly trying to fit in. Right. And like Mm -hmm. my head hurts from smiling now Mm -hmm. at this point. So I've given myself a break, but for slates, I have to. So what I do now, because I realize I do have to have this bubbly, like fun, like easy to, and I I do Mm -hmm. think I'm easy to work with, but like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like we have to really show our mm-hmm. sunshine which like part of our personality and so what i do mm-hmm. i literally have like maybe like my takes of just simple ass slates mm-hmm. can take i don't know like about a minute two minutes like i where i'm just i literally walk up i like i smile at the camera until i kind of like how i look and then sometimes i have to like not look but like still be staring straight you know just mm-hmm. being really smiley really happy and i'll only start my slate until i'm like peak level like maybe sunshine like mm-hmm. I-, I think of sunshine right. because i'm like you want to shine right mm-hmm. you can't just just smile mm-hmm. it has to be a certain smile um so i think like self-tapes like really stress me out so much because yeah. i i worry about every single part yeah and it's not very simple to just be like, hey, this is my name. Hey, this is my body. Hey, this is my side profile. Hey, these are my hands. Like, I'm 5'9". Mm-hmm. Like, it's awkward because you also have to say it. Like, yeah. I don't like how to say it's it sometimes. So I'm like, I'm like, it's like, fine. Like, that. And it's too plain, oh my, right? Like, yeah. you want to be genuine. It's so just, it's really yeah. tough. Like, it's tough. I think what they're looking for, yeah. like, let me see if I can even do it right now. Like, mm-hmm. Hi, my name's Faina Cherdak, and I I'm five nine. I know what they're. No, yeah, it's see, just even like, that is like, I'm not in a fucking Kellogg's mm-hmm. commercial. Like, I know. I know. What I, I know. Mean. It's like it drives me crazy. Honestly, it does. I know. I'm like, but what? It takes so many takes for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I crop so and much. It's like we shouldn't have to like, we shouldn't have to go through this amount of stress to do something that we enjoy. But it's like we're like we're trying to comply like it's so messed up because it's like we're doing this to make neurotypicals comfortable and and neurotypicals don't tend to like try to make us comfortable um anyways it's a long yeah long fight you know it's a a deep thing and and i i like to always bring it up like using these examples yeah highlights yeah yeah um just to, because we both know the struggle, you know, we're, we're, we know this very well, but our, the neurotypical listeners don't always know. So it's nice to get them. Yeah. There. Yeah. Understand yeah. That. I've, I wonder how mm-hmm. many takes, I, mm-hmm. I just want to see the slating process for someone who maybe functions neurotypically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to see if it's more simple. Maybe they stress out also. Maybe they like want to, perfected so depends you know. on the person too but i think just like the the level because everyone has some and i i try to emphasize like 
autistic traits aren't like alien things like it's not to say like that neurotypicals don't have some of those but it's like the frequency the reason we have them and the ability to regulate is what's so different for us and i think people don't understand like especially the ability to regulate things is what i have the most trouble with my neurotypical friends understanding it's like i can't just control my meltdowns i can't just not have emotional outbursts i i just need to be supported when i have emotional outbursts yeah really you're not like a fucking uh robot i always call them a game boy but they're the controllers video game you're not a video game controller you don't have all these fucking buttons i don't have these buttons yeah i'm like really your family thinks you do well (laughs) or or, sorry who would you mention earlier that my it's not my family it's complicated it's like my my family like my sister for example like it's not like she she's like always like she she actually i feel like she has learned a lot about neurodiversity but like every once in a while she'll still make little comments like things like with kind of gaslighting like i'll say i'm uncomfortable with this and she'll ask me why i'm uncomfortable she'll make me explain why i'm uncomfortable instead of just like respecting that i'm uncomfortable and i'm setting a boundary yeah um so just things like that yeah and then with my friends it's a little more like and my sister sometimes with the meltdown things but i think she's been more understanding now but my yeah. friends, I have friends that still, even the more, even like talking to them about neurodiversity all the time, they're like, it's clear that they're still learning. And I think as you, they're never going to fully understand, but I could just never. do my best to, to like help whenever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I like find myself like, <laughs> it's not that I'm sifting through friendships. It's just that I think the universe has sifted for me and I've kind of like, I like to keep to myself way more than I used to because I used to love being social, but really that was just me masking and trying mm-hmm. to fit in. Yeah. And I still love to be social, but I think I have like a pretty solid couple friend. Like, mm-hmm. And I really don't have that many close friends anymore yeah. because it just makes me feel better. I feel like it's the same for me. Like I just have maybe three or four people that I feel like I'm actually really like close friends with. And then I have maybe a few other people that are like, sort of friends but like we're not in touch very much um but yeah only three or four like really core friends i would say yeah yeah and and which is all we really need yeah mostly neurodistinct for me too mostly neurodistinct and sometimes like that's all we need For, for a lot of us it's like we only really need one or two good friends um right and it's yeah it's like there's this whole like that's this other thing like this whole idea that like quantity of friends equates success or like popularity instead of like the actual quality i'd rather have like a few friendships but they're really good quality friendships yeah Yeah. as i grow i just Mm -hmm. realize like i'm not gonna surround myself with anything or anyone that does not make me feel absolutely Mm -hmm. great and it doesn't have to be all the time, but for the most part, like, I want to look forward to seeing that person. I don't want it to feel like a chore. I want it to feel exciting, you know? Yeah. And I think I have those people in my life now, although mm-hmm. I do still struggle to, like, leave and, like, leave my home. And, like, even though I do feel good when I do it for the most part, 
Um, yeah. It's just, I don't know. I think that's just part of executive dysfunction. It's just, you know, yeah. so many things to do to leave home and it mm-hmm. is all very hard. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I know you have to get to a meeting, so yes. I'll let you go. Save me. Send help. SOS. I'll send you help. Yes. <laughs> thank you george yeah. thank you as always for for you know being able to bring these difficult but fun but interesting conversations yeah of course i mean it's super fun for me too it's super therapeutic um i really love talking about these things with you i feel like we really understand each other a lot when it comes to this stuff so yeah thank yeah. you yeah until next time george thank you thank you everyone for listening um i hope you enjoyed this episode and i'll see you next time